All right, good morning, everybody. Pastor Paul here. It is Thursday, October 7th, 2021, and you are stumbling in here to the pastoral devotional that we are doing. We do these Monday through Friday. We take 10 or 15 minutes to unpack uh, some portion of God's Word. In this season, we're doing something called Romans Rewind. This is where we sort of parallel ourselves with the preaching series on Sunday morning at Four Oaks that we're doing through the book of Romans. And we highlight different themes or truths or ideas, scripture passages, verses that maybe we didn't have as much time to unpack in those sermons because there's, you know, Romans is so dense in, a, in the best sense of the term. It is just chock full, rich of great theological truths. And so we've been um, doing that here and following right along in a parallel way. And so we're through Romans chapter 2, and we've been talking this week about circumcision and why it was a flashpoint of controversy in the early church, um, why, um, you know, there was so much division over it, and then how did circumcision give way to baptism as the new sign of the covenant, and encourage you to go back and Watch the three other episodes of this week if you want to get the full discussion and backdrop of that. But last time, we spent a good bit of time talking about the who. Who is it that is to be baptized? And you heard me um, make the case and talk about how baptism is to be um, administered to those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. And that, that involves part of their incorporation into the body of Christ, the church. Well, this morning, I want to address a couple other issues. Number one, how, how do we baptize? And we'll just spend a few minutes on that. And then when, that's a much more um, of a relevant question, I think for some of us, when are we to get baptized? And does that vary depending upon one's age and maturity? So let's start with the, let's start with the how. So we know from um, intertestamental literature, archeology, span archeological research, et cetera, that even before John the Baptist came on the scene and was baptizing in the River Jordan, that baptism was a part of Jewish cleansing rituals. Um, we can go back and we can uncover uh, baptismal pools. We can, we can find um, plenty of evidence extra biblically that this was a, a common practice. And so, and it involved this idea of, of a part of the ceremonial law of the Jews of needing to be cleansed um, after certain events or before certain meals or before certain events, those sorts of things. And all the evidence seems to indicate on that level that when people were baptized, little b, um, they were done so by being immersed in water. And so you can see um, in these little baptismal pools that, they, that, that we've uncovered that they have steps leading down into the water. So when John the Baptist comes on the scene, why does he choose the Jordan River as the place for baptism. Why not just one of these uh, little baptismal pools? Well, one is the sheer number of people. Well, hundreds if not thousands of people came out to see him. But not only did they come to see him, they were coming to get baptized. And so what did, what did um, John need? He needed a very large body of water. And so he would undoubtedly stand down in the water and people would file in and he would immerse them. It's important to remember that the word baptism it means immersion. It means water. It means it means um, to to dunk into water by immersion. That's what the that's what the the word means literally. 
So it's kind of like when you ask, when your child um, asks for a Band-Aid. You know, Band-Aid is a ubiquitous term for any sort of bandage, right? But actually, Band-Aid is actually a brand, right? It's, 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 a Band-Aid is a Band-Aid. It was the first of its kind. And baptism in the same way. Baptism, by any other means, is not technically not a baptism. It's by immersion. And so this is why we believe that um, it's those who profess faith in Jesus Christ who are then immersed and um, as, a, as a sign and as a symbol that they're making a covenant with God, a profession of faith, and that they're being buried with death, buried by death with Jesus, and then raised with him in his resurrection to newness of life. And so that's all I want to say about that then, but that's, that seems to be what the historical and the biblical evidence indicates. Think about just for a second when Philip um, was preaching the gospel to the eunuch and the eunuch became saved. And the eunuch was like, well, I need to be baptized, right? Well, there's a body of water. Let's go over there. And if this was just something where they wanted to sprinkle a little water from, from a bottle or provision, they could have done this. But no, they needed a body of water to immerse them in. Okay, now let's talk about when. Okay, when does baptism um, take place or should take place? And, and it seems uh, at the, at the get-go, that's a pretty simple answer to, to provide at least anecdotally, biblically, because in Acts we see this pattern um, that when people were people were professing faith in Jesus Christ, they were immediately baptized. Okay, um, and so for example, in Acts two, Peter is preaching. He says, "They said, brothers, what shall we do?" And Peter said to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins." and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now look down at Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And this seems to be a, a pretty clear case where the gospel is being preached at Pentecost. Peter's calling on the people to place their faith in Christ and to be baptized, and that these things happened nearly simultaneously. And that this baptism, again, was a means of publicly identifying with the church incorporated into the church. It was, a, it was part of their oath um, of becoming a Christian and making a profession of faith, and it was also an outward sign of an inward reality. Um, as they're buried with Christ, as they're cleansed by the blood of Christ, so then they're buried in the water and cleansed by the water metaphorically. Um, we also see this idea of the immediacy of baptism um, with Philip and the eunuch in Acts chapter 8, and you can flip over there. Um, so Verse 34 in Acts 8, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, So here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? All right, so, so there's a sense of immediacy that as soon as people profess faith in Christ, their baptism is not delayed they are uh, they're immediately baptized um, into the body of Christ. Now, there's two different developments that happen in the history of the church that changed both the mode, okay, and the timing of baptism um, in the life of the church. One of those things that happened was that it seems that within the first couple of centuries, if not almost immediately, some began to misunderstand what this baptism was. In other words, it was so close, uh, it was grouped so close to the confession of faith that some mistakenly um, attached 
salvific power to the act of baptism and and try to make it come to mean something that it was never intended to mean. It was always meant to be an outward sign. But it, it's not like there is any magical mojo in the water itself by being baptized that saves you. However, the scripture does speak about these things as happening in conjunction, faith, then baptism. And it seems that even in Paul's time that there was some misunderstanding about this. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Paul says, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Now, Paul here is pointing to some to some practice, apparently, that some believed in, in, in the efficacy of baptism for the dead or receiving a baptism on the part of someone else who may have died and who had not been baptized. Well, Paul's not endorsing that. Paul's simply using that as an illustration to say, hey, even in these particular cases, right, um, um, where they've got it wrong about baptism in terms of being baptized on behalf of the dead, there's still a belief in the resurrection of Christ. Okay, why else would we be baptizing someone on behalf of the dead? So Paul is not condoning this practice. He's just referencing it as something they would have been familiar with. A second thing that began to happen in the life of the early church, because baptism was so close, closely associated with faith and repentance, that people again began to be to, began to fear not being baptized, and if that you weren't baptized, um, then your soul was in sor- some sort of mortal danger. And this is why, and and again, there's evidence, and this is disputed, but but according to some sources, this is when babies began to be baptized in the early church. Because there was this sense that, of course, they were born under original sin. They needed to be baptized um, to ensure their salvation, or, or at least make salvation possible. Now, it's important to understand that people who affirm infant baptism um, today are not necessarily in that camp. They don't necessarily mean that it, they're doing it because it saves the baby or makes salvation possible. They're doing it as a sign of the covenant and as... Um, an appropriation of their faith of how they're going to raise their child. But it does tell us that even in the early church, there was confusion about baptism, both in terms of its timing and who it was ministered to and, and what was the net effect of it. Um, but a, a third, a second historical development that was crucial was that up for the first 300 years of the early church, um, Christianity was oftentimes harassed, persecuted, and experience martyrdom. So to be baptized and profess your faith was a huge deal. It was a huge deal. And it might meant, might have meant risking your life. And so once, though, Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, Christians were sort of coming out of hiding, so to speak. They could worship in public. They could be baptized in public. It became very easy to be a Christian. And because of this, uh, baptisms were... For those who were first coming to faith were oftentimes delayed and the reason that this would happen is that they wanted to give the 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 person who's professing faith an opportunity to grow in their faith to make sure that their faith was real and authentic and they were to go through this catechismal process in the life of the early church before they were formally baptized and admitted into entrance into the into the church and the reason that this was done okay obviously, was um, to, to discourage spurious professions of faith or spurious baptisms or, you know, th- there had to be some sort of credibility to back up. Now, both of those developments, historical developments, um, cl- 
clearly um, have imprinted the church um, from, from that time. And so even now, as there's a larger Baptistic movement of the last 500 years, which really thinks that baptism should be administered to only believers, well, within that camp, there are people who advocate for, um, for baptizing people immediately upon profession of faith, particularly children, um, young adults, and those who think there ought to be a process of waiting. And again, the one, people who advocate waiting, okay, um, are going to be pointing to the fact that in America particularly, very easy to be a Christian, very easy to become a Christian. And we need to ensure the authenticity of this confession of faith. The other side would say, well, no. Um, we look in the scriptures, there seems to be immediate baptisms. And I think in this where there is obviously some gray area and points of wisdom, um, we, we, we want to, one, want to be gracious to each other. Two, we want to try to weave a course that applies the truth of Scripture in an applicable way in our own culture. So it seems to me that um, in a culture, Christian culture, the last 100, 200 years, where there's this easy believism, just pray a prayer, chant a prayer, come down an aisle, you can become a Christian that's this way, that's led to a lot of confusion, a lot of false conversions, um, a lot of false testimonies, false baptisms in that sense. And so I think that... that we are wise in our current culture to understand these dynamics, okay, to not be pushing our young children to be baptized before there is a season of really attesting to their faith, of really seeing the Holy Spirit's work in their life. But at the same time, when we do see the work of that Spirit, um, then, then I see no reason why baptism should be delayed, right? I think it can be a point of great encouragement and affirmation for people, even at a young age, to be baptized and to think back to that time. So we really need to steer this wise middle course, I think, where we're not just rushing people through baptism because of some fear or insecurity we have, okay? Um, but ne neither are we making baptism so laborious that it becomes unrecognizable in the way from the way that it functioned in the New Testament church. And so... At Four Oaks, we give lots of prerogative to parents to be able to monitor this process. Um, we have to use wisdom as well as, as pastors and elders as we're navigating people through that baptismal process. But what we don't want to lose in the midst of all this is this idea that a baptism is a public event for Christians to affirm their faith, proclaim their testimony, to give a visible demonstration of the gospel in their lives and for people to rejoice. That seems to be the essence of the New Testament. And as to when that happens, that's gonna be a matter of some discernment, is it not? Um, who can specify exactly the age of accountability or the age of cognizant awareness of what one is doing? That's probably going to, to vary by person. And so we give grace, but we keep coming back to the scriptures. All right, so that's wrapping it up for baptism and circumcision. Um, tomorrow, Friday, our last day of the week, devotional of the week, I'll give a preview of what's coming on Sunday and some things that we can begin to think and pray about towards then. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we remember our own salvation today, our own baptism, and give you grace and give you, I mean, give you glory and honor for the grace you've given us. And so, Father, we pray that you would go before us today in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.